Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about retirement readiness, strategies to help you grow and preserve your wealth so that you get the most from life with the money you do have. Are you on track? John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Are you a business owner or real estate investor that feels paralyzed by the potential looming tax bill you might pay when you sell your business or property? Well, on today's episode, I talk with Greg Reese, founder of ReefPoint LLC, about a proprietary tool called a deferred sales trust and how it can be used as a way to defer taxes on selling an appreciated asset. A deferred sales trust, or DST for short, is similar to an idea of an installment sale. And in the case of a DST, it can allow for an asset to be sold and avoid having to pay taxes all up front, but rather allow the business owner or real estate investor to take up to a a 10-year period to decide how, how much in each year and when to take the income from the proceeds of this asset and still invest the money along the way. Of course, this is a unique tool that has some complexities. So be sure to consult your financial advisor or attorney or tax professional along the way. But whether again, you're a business owner or real estate investor looking for maybe a 1031 alternative, a deferred sales trust is a potential strategy that you can look into. And so without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Greg Reese. I'm so excited to talk about deferred sales trusts and how folks can learn a little bit more about deferring taxes. So it seems as if, Greg, that the biggest problem that the deferred sales trust is trying to offer a solution to is mitigating tax liability. So tell us a little bit more about who should be considering a deferred sales trust in the first place. Yeah, good question. You know, and you're exactly right because, you know, the deferred sales trust really operates in three primary uh, areas. The first one is as an exit strategy. So for those people that started a business years ago and they're looking to retire or sell it and, and move on, you know, uh, what you find with business owners is almost the entire sales price that, that they get for their business is taxable because most business owners start with a computer and a phone and that's their core investment at the, at the start. And now it's worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars when it's getting ready to be sold. And so it's a huge tax liability. So, and also real estate owners, for example, the most, most of the transactions involve the sale of real estate or the sale of, of a business. Mm-hmm. There are other things that are involved, other types of assets. We can get into that later, but, but they're looking to either have an exit strategy. So business owners want to retire and kind of, you know, move on to, you know, a different retirement lifestyle. A real estate owner might want to get out of the active management of real estate. In other words, some might say, I, you know, I'm done with the tenants, toilets, and trash. Okay. And I, I want to move on to the clubs, cocktails, and cruises. So right. hey, move from the three T's of the three C's. I like it. Um, and it could be for health reasons. It could be for just lifestyle reasons. It, it could be to remove the handcuffs from always having to be available and, and there and, and dealing with those midnight calls and stuff and the plumbing breaks or the, you know, electricity falters or whatever it may be. And so, you know, so that's for exit strategy. The second lane we operate in is really as a 1031 exchange alternative. So we all know the 1031 exchanges, 
are a mechanism to sell an appreciated piece of property and then reallocate into another piece of property and defer the taxes on the first sale through mechanisms of IRC section 1031. Some people will use the DSP as the vehicle to achieve the same result, but the key difference is if you use the DSP, you can park your money effectively and wait for the right opportunity and not be bound by the timelines and other restrictions that are associated with 1031. So COVID right now, we're sort of still in the middle of. And so a lot of the real estate investors I talk to, they largely, I mean, a majority of the percentage, they feel there's going to be better opportunities in several months down the road to 18 months down the road. They, they just think that the prices may come down or there's going to be you know, great opportunities. And so sure. they don't want to be stuck just trying to find something within 45 days. Mm. And, you know, and then it, that's coupled with the fact that the real estate market is still very strong right now. Prices are high and there's oftentimes multiple offers going in on various properties. So I find people that have put offers in, put offers in, and they got beat out. And they're struggling and they're stressed about finding that, that right upside property. And sometimes, you know, in, in this confluence of these two events, sometimes they might find something or not, but if they do, sometimes it's not ideal. Yep. And they have to they have to do what I, I coined years ago in the real estate industry. Sometimes you have to hold your nose and close. <laughs> right, right. Not quite getting what you want. Yeah, sure. But you know what? You don't want to pay the tax. Sure, so sure. If you had an alternative that allowed you to park your money mm. and take all the time you need to find the right opportunity that you love, and then you could do that and use the DSP as your vehicle to achieve that, but that's that's valuable. It creates that alternative. So, different, different so I, want to, I want to talk about some of the mechanics, but I, you know, that we might have listeners, Greg, that are thinking to themselves something like, that sounds amazing. And why haven't I heard about this? And a lot of real estate investors have probably heard about a 1031, but maybe haven't even, even gone down that road uh, because of the fear that, like you said, if not knowing what the next leg is or having it be you know, blown up and, and during the deal or something like that. So maybe just really quick before we jump back to the mechanics, for those that are thinking, why haven't I heard about this before? What's one of your responses to that? So you know, I often say, you know, almost every day that the, the DSP is a strategy that's not new, but it's still new to a lot of people. Fair. And the primary reason for that is that the strategy itself is proprietary in nature. Campbell Law invented this, you know, in conjunction with following IRS code. We don't own the code, but the mechanics of how we put together transactions is unique. A lot of the uh, intellectual property that goes into that and, yes. and knowledge uh, about the law and the and tax and the IRS and all that is very specialized. Okay, mm. And the reason why there's 10,000 other tax attorneys that aren't really doing this right now, unlike 1031s, where there's thousands of people involved from escrow to title to attorneys to exchangers to appraisers to everybody. Everybody knows about 1031 exchanges because there's so many people that can benefit and play a role. But in this space, it's, it's a unique, specialized way to utilize the code. And in order for that to become accepted and mainstream and get to the point in its life existence where that strategy is considered legal, proven, and tested, you got to go through some pain. You got to go through some scrutiny. And it takes years for the IRS to even pop up and say, hey, I've 
I've seen a couple hundred or a couple thousand of these transactions, and we're not quite sure what's going on here. We want to investigate. So what do they do? They'll do individual audits on individual clients or trusts, right? Yes. They may go to the proprietor of the law firm or organization that's putting that together in the first place. They'll typically do both of those things, but they'll start with the individual audits because they want to examine individual transactions. Sure. Buzzer. So, Certainly. And it takes them years to sort of start to do that. Yes. And one of the one of the core benefits of, of, of every client gets within retainer services is the attorney stand behind their work. So yes. if a given client is ever audited during the life of their particular DSC trust, sure. they will offer to represent at no additional cost. They will defend them, they'll step up and defend it and, and, and basically back up what they've done. Yeah. And, and it's a low audit rate, which is great, but enough has been done so that we can honestly and uh, with integrity say that yes. our strategy is legal, it's proven, and it's been tested. Yeah. That's Other that's providers that you know could be smart enough to sort of replicate and figure out what we're doing, they haven't even gotten to the first base of that one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's, so that's why we're in a very unique situation. Okay, that makes sense. So I'm thinking now about some of the mechanics again for, for people who are thinking to themselves, gosh, this sounds interesting. Maybe this is for me. There's some other criteria that might need to be met. And I've seen in some of your literature that maybe it's those that have a certain threshold of unrealized capital gains. So what's the dollar amount that somebody should be thinking about when you know they're weighing, do I sell this business or real estate or do I look for a, a tax deferral strategy? Are there some dollar amounts or parameters there? There, there absolutely are. So we, we've kind of determined that there's a sweet spot or what we call a minimum viable transaction. So, okay. and I'll say it two different ways, but it means the same thing. So the first way I would uh, categorize this is if you are the seller of a highly appreciated asset, regardless of what it is, and if you were to sell that asset with no particular planning involved and the resulting tax liability for you, federal, state, Obamacare, all around, would be eighty dollars to $100,000 or more, yep. then that is a viable case to consider using the deferred sales trust. Okay. Put, another, put another way, because not everybody knows what my tax liability would be, but sure. you don't know if the appreciation or the gain that you would be taxed on. So in the case of a business, that's kind of almost the whole purchase price. Because yeah, you have a purchase price over, yeah. With real estate, really, it's it's a it's a uh, mental calculation that says, what is my appreciation from what I first bought it for? Yep. Plus, how much depreciation have I taken since I've owned it? Sure. Add those two together. If that amount is about $250,000 or more, then that's saying the same thing a different way. That's yeah. viable for a look at. Definitely. Okay. And, and, you know, in Southern California, that's, it's in some ways a really low hurdle, which makes us even more attractive, you know, because I was even thinking in my mind, you know, coming from sort of the, the capital markets, you know, somebody that has a significantly appreciated stock from their company or they're an executive or something like that. So, you know, unrealized gains of, you know, $500,000 or more, but maybe for real estate, because you got the depreciation factor too, you know, 250,000 combined with appreciation plus depreciation 
situation. So, you know, in some ways that's not, not an enormous hurdle for someone to start thinking, okay, I might have more than a hundred thousand dollars in terms of a tax liability. Now, now I'm really interested. Yeah. So I want to keep talking about some of the mechanics of it. Sorry. Did you... I'll just interject really quick. Go ahead. Another kind of asset class that most people wouldn't even think about is your primary residence. Yeah. So because you're, you know, you're working and living in Newport Beach. So, yeah. and I live in Newport Beach and, and my home office is in Costa Mesa, but we're surrounded by multi-million dollar properties all around us, right? And the IRS does have a little bit of a tax benefit for some of those folks, sure. which is called the section 121 exclusion. You can right. exclude 250,000 if you're single or 500,000 if you're married, right. you sell your home. But a lot of people around here have a gain that's much larger than that. Definitely. Much larger than that. And sometimes it's the big house, the kids are gone, they wanna kind of consolidate, or maybe they wanna free up the equity to move into smaller quarters and have income that, that they can you know, use for their, for their lifestyle gain. So this strategy can also be used with highly appreciated personal residence. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's another good example. And so I think as I've learned a little bit about the, the DST, there's, there's a couple of key components to it. You know, first it's, let's say, you know, just taking the example, if you're selling an appreciated, appreciated asset, and I'm just going to pick on a business. If I'm, if I'm the seller of a business and I'm out, I'm about to receive, let's say a $2 million for, you know, gross proceeds for the sale of the business. There's, you know, one step, which is the money goes not maybe directly to me, but to a trust. And then there's another mechanic of us. There's some period of time that, you know, I would get to defer the taxes for. So can you talk a little bit about where does the money go and how long does somebody have to defer it? And, you know, what might else happen in between that time frame? Sure. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to step just a half a step back and just kind of set the stage for what, you know, what we're really accomplishing here. So we're, we're utilizing section 453, which is the code section that governs the use of installment sales. For real estate owners, that's often referred to as a seller carryback. For business sellers, that's often uh, referred to as an earnout. Yes. The definition of an installment sale is one in which some of the proceeds of your sale will be received in one or more years beyond the actual year of sale. Yes. That's the definition of an installment sale. Now, the rules under installment selling means that you only have to recognize and pay taxes on what you actually receive from year to year. Yes. And so before I get into the mechanics, let me just throw an analogy your way Great. because I think it's relatable to a lot of people. Imagine, put your imaginary cap on. Imagine <laughs> that you could sell that business, sell that real estate place the net proceeds of sale before taxes into a trust for your benefit that acts much like it's your personal IRA or 401k. Okay. Now, once the money hits your 401k, if you will, you get to decide how to reinvest those proceeds. We're going right. to work with you. We, we have a team that comes as part of the DSP strategy, but you ultimately will decide how you want those proceeds reinvested and it's not limited in the way 1031 exchanges are. You can reallocate your proceeds into sure. any viable investment class you want. It could be sure. equities, it could be real estate, it could be another business, it could be, you know, anything under the sun, really, that that is is a true bona fide investment. Number two, 
just like it was in your 401k or IRA, the client will determine how much they want to withdraw from their account from month to month or year to year. Yep. All right. Number three, they will only recognize and pay taxes on the amount, on the amounts they actually withdraw, just like mm. your IRA. Yep. If I don't need the money this year, I let it grow, right? Yep. And I don't pay taxes. But as soon as I need some money out of it, I'll recognize and pay taxes just on what I've taken, right? Exactly. So there's a lot of control and flexibility. Number four, which is really a side benefit of what we do is, well, let me, let me talk about from an estate planning standpoint, because that's one of my specialties. The client gets to designate effectively how any of their sales proceeds are going to be ultimately distributed or applied to the benefit of their designated heirs. Hmm. So there's an estate planning component to this too, so that, hey, it's a really big deal. you have all this money sitting in this DAC trust and you're drawing income from it, and you should die, for example. What happens to that money? Well, it will accrue to the benefit of your designated heir. Yes. And we're going to work very closely with you to make sure that you do have that in place. It's like if you if you placed an IRA for a client, you're not going to just open the account and, and, and not have a beneficiary designation no. in place. No, of course. We're going to make sure that they have their beneficiaries in place as to what they want to see happen. Number four, asset protection is sort of a, a byproduct of the benefit. Mm. If the client sells their business or their real estate, the money's in their DSP trust. They're drawing from it, just like they would if it was a 401k or IRA. If they get sued or they get a judgment against them for any reason, it's almost impossible for their judgment creditor to get access to the principal. In their That's trust. a really so it's 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 got similar protection, you know. And I don't want to speak as a lawyer or something like that. Okay. That's not sure. my intention here, but I'm just telling you, there is really strong asset protection on the principle that's in your trust at any given time okay. before any potential creditor that you might have. So that's okay. that's the analogy I want to make before I kind of get into sort of the mechanics. Okay, great. So the mechanics kind of look like this. You've decided you're going to sell this appreciated asset, right? And, and you are going to go through the normal process that any owner would. Hire a professional to help you market, list, negotiate offers with potential buyers, negotiate the final terms with the ultimate buyer. You're going to control that whole process just like you always would, right? In the background, we're going to work with you and the transaction parties to create this trust for you and have our tax attorneys integrate with you and the transaction parties, whether it's escrow, title, an attorney, a, a broker, whoever it may be, in order to sort of weave this in. It's kind of like the DST becomes an option that you want to consider and you want to weave it into your transaction early. Mm. It has to be created before you actually close mm. because once you've closed or come close to closing, sure. the then it's recorded receipt. the IRS considers that you either have the money yeah. <laughs> or you as good as have the money sure. and they're going to impose taxes on you. So you want Definitely. to have the structure set up in advance and you want to have it set up conditionally so that there is no cost up front to put it together. Hmm. You'll, only, you'll only pay the legal fee if you actually close with the DST. Hmm. You're not obligated to close with the DST. It's kind of like selling a property and putting a 1031 exchange provision into your contract, which just basically says, as the seller, I reserve the right to engage in the 1031 exchange if I so choose and at my own expense. Definitely. It doesn't mean I have to do it. Yeah. 
It just means I have the right to do it, right? That's neat. So it's sort of the same concept. And That's so, neat. so once we set up the trust and we get everything coordinated in advance, you don't ever have to make your decision whether to use it or not until right before the close is going to occur. Cool. You don't use it, we just walk away. There is no cost, there is no obligation. If you do use it, you'll pay the legal fee at the close. Sure. But then what happens is the trust receives the cash at close. Yep. You receive a promissory note for the full balance, the full amount that's in that escrow, right? which enables you to report your sale as an installment sale, meaning that you're telling the IRS, I sold this thing for $5 million, but I haven't gotten any money yet. Exactly. And under the installment rules, what did I say? You don't recognize or report or pay taxes unless you actually receive the money. Makes so sense. You report it as an installment sale. And that way you create a note with your trustee, which is my role. And you, you let me know how you want to receive your money over what period of time, we'll figure out an attractive rate of return that should be applied to that note, and then the payout structure that you need to support whatever goal you have, whether it's a lifestyle and income or, or payoff debt or whatever it is, so that you only, just like that 401k analogy, you only ever recognize and pay taxes on what you actually draw from time to time. Hmm. Every year, you're going to get a 1099 from the trustee that says, hey, here's how much you withdrew from the trust. Here's how much represents interest on your note. Here's how much represents principal that might be subject to capital gains. It's oh, fascinating. My, as I have to admit that my brain as a financial planner runs wild thinking about all of the creative ways that the distribution side of this can be crafted because I'm thinking about all my clients that are in retirement and they're taking money out of their 401k and maybe some years they've got high ordinary income if they're getting you know a severance payout or a deferred compensation payout and then they've got years where they've got low income because they haven't taken social security yet or they're not age 72 and not pulling on their IRAs and so it's if I'm hearing you right Greg it sounds as if there's a lot of flexibility for somebody who's sold something for $5 million that's wanting to use this kind of installment sale idea and then have that $5 million to be paid back to them. I mean, they eventually will be paying taxes. They eventually will receive that money. It's just not as if, boom, all of it hits their tax return in, in this one year. Is that right? That's right. So, you know, really two fundamental tax benefits are, are at play here. Number one, by being able to defer the taxes, you get to keep the money you would have paid in taxes to directly benefit you, the seller taxpayer, whether it's for income purposes or wealth accumulation purposes, sure. if you're not diluting your nest egg with tax money, which would otherwise go over here, right? Exactly, yeah. Let's say you were gonna owe a million dollars in taxes. What if you could keep that million dollars, put it to work directly for your benefit, if you were just looking for income and just to keep it super simple, what if I could earn 5% on that million dollars? Sure. That's an extra $50,000 a year I would never see. Exactly. Over 10 years, that's a half a million dollars. Right? Exactly. Second tax benefit is if you sell without planning, the entire taxable gain gets added to your other income in the year of sale. What does exactly. that do to your tax brackets? Boom. You're yeah, up yeah. here. You're, you're at the top. There's no question. You're at the top. Exactly. Every single client that is eligible to do this, right. they would be there. And especially in the state of California, that's going to make your state of California return through the roof. 13.3% California. But what if you could engineer the payments that you receive? Yes. Only such that you actually need the money. It's like 
I always go back to this IRA concept because none of us are going to retire tomorrow and cash out our IRA the following 100%, day. One hundred percent, right? It doesn't work that. Why? Yeah. Because well, I don't need to spend all the money this year. Yeah, that would be the reason. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's I mean, nobody would do that, right? Unless they plan to consume all the money in their IRA no. in the same year. Okay, no. I'm gonna use it all, so I might as well just take it pay taxes. You're only gonna take what you need to supplement your retirement. If you take too much from your IRA, the next year you're thinking about, you know what? I took a hundred thousand out of my IRA last year, but I left fifty thousand in the bank at the end of the year. Why did I pay taxes on that extra fifty thousand if I didn't need to spend it? Exactly. Yeah. Next year I'm only gonna take fifty. And if it's not enough, I'll take more. Yeah. Or if it's too much, I'll back it down again. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. So I, I love this because, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, especially in my context for folks that are pre-retirement and, and they're wanting to design their income. And there's a lot of like, you know, free range to be creative for how somebody takes income. And especially maybe in regards to like a business sale, you know, it's going to be fairly, or even any other appreciated asset, it's going to be somewhat straightforward. But something that I'm hung up on, Greg, maybe you can help me and maybe even the audience is thinking about this too. So if I, if, I, if I think back to a real estate example and somebody that is looking at the market and they're saying, you know, I really want to redeploy this money, I would normally do a 1031, but there's just too low inventory, so I can't actually achieve my goal. How could they use the DST, defer their sales, but then redeploy into the, let's say, a real estate of their choice? And then are they effectively coming out of the DST and they're going back to a regular depreciation schedule with their real estate or something like that. So what am I missing a link there in that type of transaction? No, not really, because, you know, we just have to kind of discuss, you know, how this can occur. Because earlier I, I, I mentioned that when you've closed your escrow and the trust is holding all this money in cash initially, right? And you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I want to reinvest this in order to meet the goal, which is get paid back 100% of what you got in your, yeah. your in your account plus a rate of return so you're going to need to invest that in some fashion in order to achieve that ultimate goal now you could invest in traditional institutional types of investments equities bonds etfs sure. you know, insurance products uh, alternatives to real estate passive you know all that you might also want to go out and buy active real estate you might want to invest in a business you might want to do uh, hard money loans to other real estate owners. These are other things that are sort of outside of the scope of what a financial advisor, but you do typically, sure. you don't, you don't typically manage real estate for people. You don't buy cryptocurrency for people and you don't do hard money loans, but, but those are eligible investments that they could invest in. So, totally. so what happens is, you know, just simply put the DST can be a joint venture partner with the client who wants to go in that direction. So if they want to buy real estate a year from now, as opposed to 45 days from now, then they'll find the property. They'll, you know, they'll tell the trustee what they need as far as the down payment goes, and they will be in charge of investing those funds and the trust will come in as a joint venture partner. Hmm. So we could get into the weeds about how that's actually structured, but it's really quite simple. You know, draw with a balloon payment down the road, but you can take any amount of money. You can amortize it. You can, you can take a specific draw. You can take partial interest or, or interest only, whatever you want to do. And you can change it over time. Okay. So what works today that makes sense today 
your lifestyle may change in a year or two, and you might want to modify this to keep pace with what your changing lifestyle looks like. Greg, if someone's seriously considering this, I think we've shed a lot of light on a, potentially a new area. It sounds really compelling, so I appreciate this. What, what, what are sort of the fee schedules or the, you know, the legal costs or the maintenance costs, things like that, so somebody can just understand what the ongoing fee might be? Sure. No, great question. You know, our fee schedule is, very, you know, it's pretty much a standard schedule. It's very transparent. So, you know, we bring three professionals into the mix with every DSP transaction. One is the tax attorney who's coordinating all the legal work that needs to be done and defending it if it ever needs that. We've got an independent trustee, which is per the regs, got to have the independent trustee and somebody's going to have to be approved uh, through the organization. And then there's an independent financial advisor, people just like yourself, you know, okay. that, that are going to help give advice and recommendations about how you might consider reinvesting your proceeds, even though the seller controls those decisions, Sure, it, it's beneficial to have help guiding them to make good, good decisions for themselves. So there's a there's a one-time non-recurring legal and setup fee that's due at the close, only if you close with the DSP, which is the equivalent of one and a half percent of the first million dollars of your transaction amount and one and a quarter percent of anything above a million dollars. Okay. One time, non-recurring goes away. On an ongoing basis, the easiest way to describe this is you'll have somebody like yourself and myself yes, that are performing roles to keep the integrity of this, oversee and manage investments, you know, and work with the client on an ongoing basis. The two of us combined are typically going to earn between 1.1 and 1.5% annually. And that's not separately. That's kind of a combined fee schedule based on the amount of assets in the trust from year to year. Mm. That's usually the fee schedule up to about $2 million in assets. As the Great. amount of assets is higher, our percentage goes down. So there's a downward. But the idea is that our annual fees should be covered by the performance of the underlying investments that the clients choose and approve. Definitely. So if a client had, for example, a 6% note rate on their DSP, we expect that the management and selection of those assets for the average performance is going to be 7.1 to 7.5 so that our fees are net of yeah. their target return. That makes That's sense. That's always the goal. That's what we're managing to. We want to see at least that target return on average delivered to the client, not diluted by some manner of ongoing fees. Gotcha. So Super. Greg, well, this is spectacular information. I appreciate you sharing. Just remind us again, if somebody is interested in looking at your website or a little bit more educational content, what, what's the best way for people to continue to learn about a DST? You know, a lot of good content on my website, if you, if you care to check it out, even a couple of videos that give you a high level explanation, you would go to reefpointusa.com. Reef as in Great Barrier Reef, R-E-E-F-P-O-I-N-T-U-S-A.com. Um, that'll give you all kinds of references and resources and even mechanisms to reach back to us. If you have all right. Questions. Awesome. Well, yeah. And if you do have questions for the listeners out there, feel free to reach out to myself. And that way I can talk about your specific financial planning needs and bring Greg into the conversation for an additional analysis. So Greg, thanks again for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, John. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, 
check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.